Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the IDP Show. I'm your host, Josh Raymer, joined in the So Chat tonight. On my right, Adam Markham, Evan Ronda. On my left, John Macri and Jake Colhagen. Boys, how are we this evening? We are doing so good. We just had a fantastic day. Fantastic weekend. Yeah, I want to. I'm giving you the solo cam here, Addy, because you. This is, I think, the closest you've ever come to like heaven on earth for you. Yeah, just a perfect day. We got to, you know, take you boys out to my favorite golf course in the world. Uh, the the weather was perfect. The vibes were high. Um, yeah, it was just a great day. And then we got to finish it off with some Mexican food. And uh, now we're going to talk about some some IDP guys. Now we're going to talk IDP. Yeah. John, what's better than that? You uh, you got to see God's Country, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You got a little bit of Mexican food on top of that. Now you're getting to talk IDP in the Sode Shack. I mean, it's a pretty good day. It's a damn good day. Near perfect day, I would say. Um, the golf come down is real. Yes. That's what we're learning. <laughs> the golf <laughs> crash is very real, people. Yeah, especially when you do six and a half hours. Yes. Yeah. For, yeah, for one... Uh, one round, I guess. Yeah, right? one round. Yeah. yeah, Adam, explain the setup. We did a little scramble today. Yeah, we had a. Uh, it was a three verse four scramble because there were seven of us, and uh, we got to all play together. So like they didn't split us up. So we were like all seven of us were on the same hole together every time. So it was awesome. It you know obviously made it a very long day, very but, long day, uh, but a very good day. But who cares? Yeah, I mean that's that's what you want rounds like that to last forever. So uh, it was nice. Yeah. Are we a little bit tired tonight? Yes, but we're going to push through because we're professionals, Addy. You guys are going to be fine. But we're going to make it. We're yeah, going to be all right. That's that's, right. that's what I know about us. So, uh, Jake, what did you think of uh, golf, Mexican, IDP? I mean, that's a pretty good, pretty good recipe for a pretty good day. I, I think the recipe was perfect. I don't know that the order was right for me personally. Um, I had one good shot out there, so I'm going to just hold on to that and – um, hopefully hold on to a couple takes here for but our IDP. I was very what a impressed hell of a shot it was, though, from Jake. Hell of a shot. But They're on 18. But everyone clutched Beautiful. up at multiple moments throughout the day. I mean, it was uh, – I was very impressed. I mean, these this was like the, their first round. Like, these boys have never played golf before. And, uh, yeah, very good. Just very natural good. athletes out there. Yeah, yeah. truly. Just you can tell. Course, yeah. John has shown his power through disc golf and regular golf over the last two days, and it's actually kind of terrifying how strong this man is. What would your rasp be if it was a golf score? Yeah, like a 6.9 for sure. Yeah, that's a good. You would be a 4.20, I think, Adam. Absolutely, for sure. So welcome in to the IDP show. We're glad you all are here. Yes, we are coming down off of the golf high, off of the Mexican food high. 
but the NFL draft high is the ultimate high for this weekend, and we are going to be putting a bow on all the action from Thursday, Friday, and Saturday talking about best and worst landing spots. John, me and you did this episode together the first year, two years years ago. Last year, the young king, Evan Ronda, joined us for that episode, and now we are doing it here in the Sochak with the five of us, we are so glad to be back with you all. Thank you for all the love on the draft live stream, all the content we've been pumping out here in the run-up to the draft. We so appreciate you all's support. What we're going to do tonight is walk through eight different ideal landing spots for IDP and four that we're not so crazy about, as well as some quick hitters at the end. But gentlemen, what do you say we jump right into it and kick things off with a... Linebacker that I would say, John, we weren't too high on to start out the draft, but got a nice landing spot, got some good draft capital. We're talking about Trenton Simpson, linebacker now of the Baltimore Ravens. It feels good to actually say the teams that these guys are with, right, and stop speculating about landing spots. Baltimore Ravens, linebacker Trenton Simpson. What did we like about this landing spot, John? So, yeah, I mean, it seems like, the NFL felt the same way about this linebacker class as we kind of did as IDP guys, like just kind of going through the group and trying to figure out how they fit in. And, you know, we felt, we all felt pretty good about Jack Campbell translating to IDP. We weren't really sure about Drew Sanders, Trenton Simpson, but there, there are things to like about Trenton Simpson. I think he is a good coverage player, like decent, you know, he doesn't earn, he didn't earn the best coverage grades, um, they were usually in the 60s uh, in college, but he kind of did everything well. You see kind of what he does, um, you know, as far as being able to cover in single coverage, being able to step into the slot, being able to blitz as well. He offers a lot of versatility. Um, and going to the Ravens specifically, I mean, we know how I feel about Patrick Queen specifically, but the Ravens probably aren't overly excited about him either he has a fifth year option still not picked up due on monday yeah monday is the deadline doesn't seem like they'd pick it up and we've already seen some fallout from teams taking players this weekend Uh, we're going to talk about another guy here shortly in uh dayon henley and the news comes out right after that kenneth murray's fifth year option not going to be picked up so i would say at this point jake i do not expect patrick queen's fifth year option to be picked up at this point yeah, I got to agree, and that's just, I think John hit a lot of the great things. He does everything really well, and Patrick Queen just hasn't shown that to us yet in any level of consistency that he can do everything well. And when you got a guy like Roquan out there, you don't want to be limited in what you have to do with him because you have to go ahead and cover up for Queen's weaknesses or you're limited because Queen can only do these certain things. Now you got a guy in Simpson who can go out there and you know maybe, again, not elite at any of those levels coming in, but he's going to be able to give you options as a defense and what you want to do. Eddie, I will say, though, Patrick Queen had a nice season last year. Just because the fifth-year option doesn't get picked up, that is going to create a depression in his value, but I think he can still be a nice asset for 2023. Yes. I mean, we just saw a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of meh linebackers get really decent deals on the free agent market. So I think Patrick Queen... Still going to be really young. I mean, that guy came into the league very young. So, I mean, um, very like similar like Tremaine Edmonds is like, you know, this is like his third or fourth year, but he's still just like 23, 24. So, yeah, I think he's still going to 
get another contract somewhere else, I still uh, feel like he's a fine dynasty asset. And, and yeah, you're right. A really nice buy low right now. Yeah. Evan, you have, I think, 17 rookie picks in two different leagues. That's not like eight and nine. That's 34 across two leagues. <laughs> so you have a chance to take a dart throw on Trenton Simpson. Where are you willing to take this guy in rookie drafts? Yeah, I think I think there's two different questions here inherently. One is where is Evan Ronda willing to take Trenton Simpson in rookie drafts? Or Evan Honda, as we found out. Evan Honda. Yep. And then there's where should he be taken, generally speaking? For me personally, I tend to fade rookie tight ends, and I tend to fade generally rookie IDPs in these rookie drafts just because I, I prefer drafting other positions and I trust in my ability to find value elsewhere. But all that aside, I, I think he should be one of the top linebackers taken off the board. Now, he's no Jack Campbell, and we might get to discuss him a little bit later. And if you want some more in-depth analysis, you can go listen to our draft coverage where we talked about him in-depth there. But I, I think in the third or fourth round, that seems reasonable to me. It, it really depends on your league. It depends on where players are being drafted. There are so many factors at play, and, and I never want to give anything too specific or too on the nose because in one league, it could be one thing. In another thing, it could be another thing entirely. But depending on where your league is valuing rookies, depending on where your league is valuing linebackers, if Jack Campbell goes in the middle of the first round, Trenton Simpson's probably not going to make it to the fourth. But if Jack Campbell's going in the early second, mid-second, then maybe your league doesn't value rookie linebackers as heavily, and therefore you can afford to wait on him. But I wouldn't reach on him by any means unless I am desperate for a linebacker. But even still, I don't necessarily see Trent Simpson as a year one contributor. No, I don't think so. And so he could be more of an asset that you trade for midseason. If anything else, that might be ideal. Yeah, very good way to put that, Evan. And uh, I would say with that, let's move to the second guy here on our list. It is the brother of Aziz Ojolari, BJ Ojolari, landing with the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, we like this one, John, I think because, well, there's not much else cooking there in Arizona. We've got Cam Thomas. We've got MyJ Sanders. But Zach Allen's out of town. J.J. Watt's retired. And uh, they didn't get the Will Anderson that they were hoping for. They didn't get the Tyree Wilson they were hoping for. So B.J. Ojolari kind of feels like a consolation prize a little bit. I know you're not as high on the player, but the landing spot is pretty good. Yeah, speaking specifically from a landing spot perspective, it, it's a great spot for a lot of different reasons. And, and I mean, just opportunity. Let's look at it that way. You know, Myjay Sanders was drafted last year, um, still growing, still um, progressing as, as far as his pass rush ability. But, you know, he might be the best pass rusher off the edge. I mean, Cameron Thomas is there as well, but I think on a lot of obvious passing downs, Cameron Thomas kicks inside and plays a little bit more over the tackle, um, inside the tackle uh, kind of position. So you need another edge there. And Victor Dimokeji is one of the options. Yes. Oh, Victor Dimokeji. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Dennis Gardeck again, you know, he, he flashed at times and, and was solid. Yep. Adam knows. Long hair, long Long hair, hair. long hair. Don't care. One of our long haired guys. That's right. And so there's opportunity there, right? So as much as we might not be crazy about the prospect, um, there's still a lot for him to kind of do to be, you know, an NFL level player and be consistently productive for IDP. 
But I mean, he's going to get a plenty of opportunity to 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 get to that point. Yeah, Jake, you're sitting there. You've done a lot of these best ball drafts with us. You want a piece for whatever reason? Maybe you're a sicko. Maybe you're a Jonathan Gannon fan, and you like what the Eagles did last year, and you're like, let me get a piece of that Arizona Cardinals defensive line. Yum yum yum. Those three guys are all available. All available. My J. Sanders, Cam Thomas, and B. J. Ojolari. Who are you taking your swing on in best ball drafts? I'm probably gonna lean Ojolari. Okay, and, interesting. And, and I, I just, I really think he might have the upside of one of the best speed rushers in this class. Um, and just that with with his size and, and the bend that he does show at times. Um, in best balls, I'm just looking for a guy that's going to hit me with a sack, you know, every few weeks. And, and I think he's going to be the guy that can do that for us. Um, I I'm with you. I think my has got some room to grow there, John. I just, and I actually took a lot of shares in him so far and a lot of the best balls too, just because the path to volumes there. Mm -hmm. But I, I just, I, I like, I like what I saw in terms of that speed. He's not going to get you a lot of tackles. He's not going to do much else, but I think he can deliver those sacks. And the question is, is, is Zayvon Collins going to be on the other side of him? Mm -hmm. That is a good question. Rushing, so, Addy, we saw a lot of Zayvon Collins chatter. He's uh, listed as the right defensive end for the Cardinals. So maybe he's the guy that we want coming off the edge. But for right now, assuming he's still a off-ball linebacker, um, there's no denying that Jonathan Gannon, in charge of this Cardinals defense now, even if this team is devoid of a lot of talent, the guys that are there are going to get opportunity in a pretty nice scheme for defensive line. Yep, yep, totally new coach, totally new scheme. So, yeah, they're going to be evaluating everything, and that means maybe they try some of these guys in different spots. And, yeah, uh, that would be a lot of fun. I mean, Zayvon Collins, you know, that guy is built to do that. He's 6'5", he's 260 pounds. Um, he has a eight nine nine RAS when I ran him as a defensive end. So I mean, he would he would do fine there. I think. Um, as far as like which which uh, these edge guys I want uh, outside of Zayvon Collins, if you want to classify him that, um, I I guess Ojolari for dynasty. I mean, draft capital wise, he was a second round pick, and then uh, Sanders and Cameron Thomas were both drafted in the third round. Ojolari did suck it up though at the combine. Four nine three RAS score. Right, row. Yeah, that wasn't great. Also, you know, wasn't overly productive at LSU. But the good thing with Ojolari is he was one of the youngest prospects in this class. He is just twenty one point one years of age, and he got playing time early on at LSU. So you like that? That's nice, Evan. You're also a best ball sicko. Same question for you. Taking these three guys are all available. Ojolari. Cam Thomas, my Jay Sanders. Who are you going after if you want a piece of that Cardinals pass rush? Yeah, man, it's. I was like, I don't think I would. I don't want. I've run really the probabilities, don't. and the opportunity cost is too great. I'd probably take my Jay Sanders. I think I would too. I think just yeah. having experience in the league has to mean something. I I'm not going to pretend to be somebody that is anywhere near the level of some of these fine gentlemen when it comes to player analysis. I'm going to pretend you pointed at me. I, I was a general gesture towards the other <laughs> it the folks. Rest, it the was the table. rest of the table. Um, a, a quick change of gears really quick, just to kind of give some perspective, right? There there were a lot of really good edge rushers taken in this rookie class, and there are a lot of really productive edge rushers that are being underrated as it currently stands in these best ball drafts. I can't really see a scenario where B.J. Ojolari is a kind of a player that I'm really trying to acquire 
because in rookie drafts, he's he's going to be, I mean, he should be, I should say, one of the later edges taken. He should not be anywhere near top five at the position, I don't think. Maybe I'll dig into it a little more, but there's a lot of talent in this class. So if I'm looking for a dynasty asset, I'm not worried too much about landing spot because I really just want to acquire a talented player. But if I want production, I'm probably not looking for a rookie at all. I'm probably looking for somebody that's being really underrated and might be on the aging side, but still willing to produce points. And so when it comes to best ball, yes, to answer your question, I would probably just take my J just because he's been in the league. But I, I also want to give some context to the listeners of, yes, this is a good landing spot for a player that we're not uber high on. And so I want to make sure that we're not kind of getting ahead of ourselves when it comes to thinking about what this might mean for his dynasty value. Yeah, there's something I've learned doing this as long as we have. Setting expectations too high for rookies is a poison pill that I want to stay away from. Yep. Because it can really kind of tarnish excitement for these rookies by placing unfair expectations on them. Right to see them as the savior of your dynasty fantasy football team when they're just learning their craft at the professional level. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want someone to be placing all their eggs in my basket as a 21-year-old coming into the workforce for the first time, John. That'd be a lot of pressure. That would be a lot of pressure. Um, I would definitely not live up to it. No, I would disappoint everyone. (laughs) I would feel awful. Yeah. Yeah. It would not be a good feeling. Yeah. So yeah. I think so we have hard. to be patient and we shouldn't be disappointed with these rookies because that's just a gap between our expectations and reality. Mm-hmm. So let's just have fair expectations of these guys. It's going to take time. You've talked about it many times that defensive line takes two, three, even four years to really get the hang of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, project guys like BJ Ojolari. Um, you know, who who does still ha- need a lot of work. You, you're going to have to be patient, and I think you're going to have to be patient with a lot of the IDPs that were drafted uh, this year specifically. Yeah. So let's move to the next guy here, and it is our first worst landing spot on the night, and we are talking about Drew Sanders, linebacker, or possibly edge rusher for the Denver Broncos. I think that kind of plays into a little bit, gentlemen, what we are talking about here with this being a bad landing spot. And we should clarify here. This is not like worst case scenario, nightmare landing spot. Just as like, we're not that excited. Could have been better because a lot of these guys, we just don't know. Right. And uh, for the most part, these guys landed in situations that we like. It's kind of hard as we went through this to actually find landing spots that we weren't crazy about. But, Addy, what is it about Drew Sanders landing in Denver that maybe has us going, eh, okay, I guess? Well, I'll be honest. I, w- I wasn't uh, that down on it. I don't okay. It. Speak on why you are not as down on it. Well, just because, I mean, it's it's Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton in front of him. I mean, that's that's not that scary, you know. Josie Jewell has just one year remaining on his deal Singleton, they did give him a three-year deal, but, I mean, really guaranteed-wise, I think it's just a two-year type deal. So, you know, that's not enough to really have me concerned about Drew Sanders um, in year two. Year one, probably not going to get much out of him, of course. Um, And we'll see how they use him, you know. I mean, is he going to – are they going to try and make him more of a full-time edge player? I don't think so. I think I I see him more as like a Caden Ellis type. You know, he's going to do a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, I, 
I'm okay with him. I'm okay with him long term. I mean, the 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 worst thing about Drew Sanders was getting the third round draft capital. Yeah. You know, if you looked at most mocks, I mean, this guy was. He was the betting favorite to go first round. Yeah, sometimes being drafted, uh, being mocked at the end of the first round, yep. definitely in the second round. So to see him fall to the third round, that was a bummer. But I'm okay with it. I mean, I think you know you're going to be able to get him as a value now in your in your uh, fantasy drafts. So I mean, yeah, I'm 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 probably going to try and you know keep a third round pick to maybe target some some Sanders. I think Jake, for me, what it was is that. There could have been spots that Sanders could have landed where he would have been a year one contributor potentially. And instead, we feel pretty confident saying he's going to sit behind Kingleton and Josie Jewell, as Evan likes to say. So I think that for me is what dampens my enthusiasm a little bit year one. But like Addy said, dynasty wise, not super worried. A little bit of a question mark on the roll. I don't want this to be necessarily another Baron Browning situation. So I think that's part of it, too, is like question marks around the role. We know he's not going to be probably a year one contributor outside of injury. So where we sit right now here on April 29th, I'm not as enthused as I thought maybe I would be leaving this weekend. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think the thing that scares me, too, is you have someone in uh, Singleton who can absolutely gobble up those tackles. You look at his tackle efficiency numbers just over the last three years, he's managed to sustain that, you know, five to seven points higher than the league average consistently. Um, and you got someone coming in and Drew Sanders who showed an inability to be consistent in his tackling. Um, one of the worst missed tackle rates as well coming out this year. So um, I know Jules on the last year of his contract, but that doesn't mean he's on his way out for sure either. And, and I don't know, maybe we're just all a little dampened because there's so many spots that are still out there that are so great. I mean, if you would have landed in New York with the Giants or, you know, with the Rams in L.A., these are spots where we could recognize some of this value and that talent immediately. Um, yeah, well, we're not even saying an LB1 no. type of opportunity. LB2, second banana exactly. kind of role would have been nice. So, um, John, what did you think here? Do you think uh, with the landing spot, like we didn't talk about the coaching staff, mm-hmm. right? This is a brand new coaching staff. What do we think uh, their What do we think their intentions are with Drew Sanders? So it's interesting, right? Because Vance Joseph comes back uh, to Denver now, and one thing that you know he liked to do a lot uh, last year with Arizona was blitzing. Um, and you look at the linebackers that you might be able to utilize as blitzers. Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton weren't that productive as as pass rushers, right? I think Josie Jewell had like 11 pressures. I, he, he ended up getting a few sacks in, but very ineffective considering, you know, the amount of times that they used him in that role. And then Alex Singleton did not come up with any sacks. Um, you know, he obviously was a very good tackler, but didn't have that production as, as, a, as a blitzer. So there's a p- potential, I guess, that they, they like him in that role. And keeping in mind, too, like, Drew Sanders is very new to the linebacker position. He only started playing it recently. He was a five-star defensive end coming out uh, and was recruited by Alabama, but that position didn't work out. So still very new, still learning the position. So I think there's a chance that we might see him, yeah, take a back seat uh, for at least a year um, while he still learns to play like a true linebacker position for Denver. Um, so that that's, that's kind of one of the reasons that we're a little bit lower on him, um, yeah. at least for this year. That's why I went with uh, Alex single skill, which I thought True. was uh, pretty pretty slick as well. You know, the dude's yep. good at tackling, but maybe not much else. Yeah. <laughs> Having greasy hair? Good hair. 
Good hair. Great. Very good hair. So, yeah, Drew Sanders, again, not saying it's you toss this guy out in your rookie drafts. This guy doesn't have a future in the league now. We just maybe could have wished for a little bit better for Drew Sanders. Let's move on to the next best landing spot, which is the safety Sidney Brown landing with the Philadelphia Eagles. John, I think you were the one who brought up Sidney Brown, I believe. Yeah, because um, he's a Canadian. Okay, (laughs) I knew there was some motivation behind this pick here. But besides being our friends to the north, just like you, good sir, what else did you like about Sidney Brown landing with the Eagles? Well, again, it's opportunity, right? That's right, right, yeah. Um, I mean, Reed Blankenship and Terrell Edmonds, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah, Kayvon Wallace, not really going to be a threat. Um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is gone now. So there's a need there for like a physical safety. And Sidney Brown is very much that. Terrell Edmonds, I don't find him to be that, you know, that guy that could play that role. So I think there's opportunity there for Sidney Brown, who's, you know, a stout kind of safety. He's a little bit on the shorter side, but very physical. And he has coverage ability as well. So there's a lot to like about him. Obviously, the Eagles liked him as kind of the first true safety taken in this draft, um, you know, depending on how you view Brian Branch. But I think Sidney Brown technically falls into that mold more so than than Branch does. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Sidney Brown. I, I liked him a lot watching his tape. I think there was, you know, he showed a lot that he can do and be effective for IDP as far as playing in the box, which he did a ton um, and put up a lot of tackles and he, and he could cover, right? So, you know, I, I had I was high on him. He was my number two safety um, for this class coming into the draft. He's going to maybe move to number one. Wow. Um, so, okay. Yeah. And I, I I liked him before I knew Spoiler he was Spoiler alert. I just kind of pushed him over the edge. But yeah. yeah. If he wasn't Canadian, he probably stays at two, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Evan, I can hear the Hello Darkness, my old friend, with Reed Blankenship shares just being lit on fire with a Canadian flamethrower. The big uh, Canadian flag on the side of it. Uh, right. But uh, <laughs> how are you feeling now with your Reed Blankenship shares up in flames? Sydney Brown in Philadelphia. Speak on it, young king. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I've been drafting so much of Reed Blankenship and now also Terrell Edmonds has just been because there hasn't been anybody there. The position has been pretty productive in the past. And obviously there was some risk. If there wasn't risk, I feel they'd be drafted higher. And we don't need to get into how bad of a strategy that probably was. But I, I think that Sidney Brown landing in Philadelphia is obviously great, as we've discussed already. I think the question I really want to pose is does this hurt Terrell Edmonds or does it hurt Reed Blankenship? I think it's almost a lock that it hurts Reed Blankenship. And so, I'm, you know, it's not a coin flip by any means. But like we discussed earlier, Sidney Brown is a very physical, in-the-box kind of safety. And in the past, that has been Terrell Edmonds' cup of tea. And so are they just going to have Terrell Edmonds and Sidney Brown both out there on the field? Or are they going to have Sidney Brown out there with Reed Blankenship? Maybe there's a simpler answer to this question than what I think in my head, but it's at least something worth asking to start off with. Yeah, John, do you think who gets uh, who gets taken out here, who gets shoved off the mountain to make room for your Canadian brother? Yeah, I think it's blanket shit. Um, I, 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 just, <laughs> I think there was a Freudian slip oh, there. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I just think, it, you know, teams value experience. Um, Terrell Edmonds has been a starter in the league for, for a while now. I, I don't I don't think they would bench him in favor of a Reed Blankenship. Um, and Edmonds, you know, to his credit, he, he might not be the best IDP, but he's a solid safety, and he he's done a lot of things. He could play in the slot. He could play deep. So there, there's, there's 
a room. There's room for both him and Sidney Brown, but yeah, I worry about Reed Blankenship for sure. Sidney Brown's one of the better tackling safeties in the league or in this uh, this yeah. class. Uh, 320 college tackles. That was 6.4 tackles per game. Also, one of the better athletes too. 9.68 RAS score. So, and this was a safety class that was not very athletic. You know, we talked about that. With yeah, we did the head. combine recap. Right. Just not a lot of you know special athletes in this class. Jake, I saw your eyebrows kind of jump when Jake or when John said that this was going to probably be his number one rookie safety. You don't don't feel obligated with the Canadian sitting next to you, but are you as high on Sidney Brown as you the person to your right is? It's it's up there. It's 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 him or Jordan battle at this point. And I mean, I had some Canadian candy this weekend, so that might it, skew it, me. It's kind of we're rising right on and, these people to the north. And I just ate a bunch of it, so I'm just probably riding that Canadian high right now. But yeah, he's he's definitely up there, uh, top two for sure. Um, something that I I really wonder for um, Sydney Brown in Philadelphia too is you know what is this going to mean with the linebacking room that they have there right now too? They have Nicobe Dean and they have Nicholas Morrow. You know, are, they're both. Well, Murrow's obviously proven. You know, he can do it. He's a he's a pro. He's been doing this for long enough now. Um, but Nicobe Dean is relatively unproven. You know, maybe they want to have someone like Edmonds. You know, in the box more that can help guide the defense a little bit more. Um, it's it, the linebacking room leaves a little bit of ambiguity, and uh, two guys in Edmonds and um, uh, Brown who have done that enough and played there enough can help add to that and add some, I guess. Uh, raise the floor there a little bit for that for that space on the field for him. Yeah, and John, what do we know about the Eagles' new defensive coordinator? I believe it's Sean Desai. Right. Is that right? What do we know? Do we know anything about this guy? Any tendencies at all? Or is it just complete mystery box with this guy being a new D.C.? Yeah. I, I mean, he was with the Eagles previously, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you see a lot of the times guys will adopt the same scheme not the same not exactly the same but very similar tendencies they'll make it their own so we could see a very similar scheme to what we already saw with uh with with Gannon there so I, I don't I don't want to say for sure I haven't dug too deep into Desai's history but that's definitely something to to consider I well. would expect it to stay relatively well, similar close, yeah. to what we saw last year and then evolve if he stays in that role longer than one year well, let's talk about the next guy here on our list. We've already mentioned him a little bit, gentlemen, so let's just keep it rolling. Jordan, battle, safety, Cincinnati Bengals. We kind of wondered with the two stalwarts there, both out the door, Von Bell to Carolina, Jesse Bates to the Falcons on like a billion-dollar deal. Uh, congrats again to Jesse Bates for getting the bag this offseason when no other safety really got paid at all. Kind of crazy. But with those two guys gone, we knew Dax Hill was going to step up. Nick Scott came over from, I believe, the Rams, right, to uh, fill one of those roles. But we see Jordan Battle landing in Cincinnati as well. Eddie, what was your take on Mr. Battle landing in Cincinnati opposite Dax Hill? Yeah, this was a great fit. I mean, obvious need for them. Um, with all the safeties leaving town, but yeah, you hate it for for Nick Scott. That was a fun month we we had there drafting him in the best balls. So uh, it's a shame. Pour one out. We will always look at these players through a different lens doing these best balls. That's now. right. Our heart will break a little more for the Nick Scotts of the world. March to April. It was boy. That was a 
great time for Nick Scott. Nick Scott's best ball relevance, yeah. March to April twenty twenty three. Tombstone, yeah. yeah, but never forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> what was your uh, Dynasty Planet exposure on Nick Scott? Off Evan? the dome, it was probably like twenty something percent. Okay, that's not too bad. But, Don't ask me about a, another play that we're going to talk about later, though. I uh, know uh, we we will have to talk about Trail it. Bernard. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Evan needs a moment here. Uh, Jake, you said that maybe Sidney Brown cracks this, you know, upper tier of rookie safeties. Jordan Battle also in the mix as well. It sounds like for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is fourteen hundred snaps just between Von Bell and. Um, Jesse Bates, the the billionaire who had left. Uh, Dax Hill still relatively unproven as well. So, I mean, he's not he's not written in stone there either. Even if Nick Scott somehow as the veteran takes the lead, um, there's nothing really stopping um, Battle from stepping in there. But Battle did so much to play from that deep position primarily at times in Alabama that his, his ability to read and react on plays to me was one of the best in the class. And I think that that's just something that not having that veteran presence is something they're really going to look for. And I, I'm i projecting a bit here, but, I mean, that's what we're all doing here. And I think he's just going to stand out in that role. And I really, I'm really excited to see what he can do on the actual NFL field. I think he's going to translate very well to this next level. And, and I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm going to – I'm running through some names here, John. And, again, I want to preach patience and tempering expectations because I remember saying on this show, John – Rodney Mickleod, before I knew how to pronounce his name, (laughs) is not going to keep Nick Cross off the field. Cut Clark is not going to keep Kyle Hamilton off the field. And at least for Nick Cross, that is exactly what happened. So as much as we love these landing spots, I don't want to put the rose-colored glasses on too much and say, oh, my gosh, look at Jordan Battle for sure lining up alongside Dax Hill. I think we need to probably expect – for these veterans to get the nod to start the season and hope that these guys work into the mix as the year goes along. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's fair. I mean, you never want to, you know, guarantee anything like that. But I don't want to be hurt again, right, John. Yeah, and to be fair, Nick Cross stopped Nick Cross from getting on the field. That he is just, true. Yeah. Um, but uh, Did not stop me from planting a flag. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jordan Battle, you know, the, the one good thing I will say about him is one of the more experienced safeties in this class, too. Over 3,000 defensive snaps at Alabama over the last four years. Graded really well. Um, in in coverage and, and all aspects of the defense as well. So, I, I I'm I'm with Jake. I think there's a really good chance that he has he has a shot to start. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed, but you look at everything that he's done at a very high level at Alabama on such a large sample size. I think that speaks volumes for you know his his experience and and what he could bring to a defense and especially a safety room that's fairly inexperienced as well, even as a rookie. So there there is a lot to like. Um, but, yeah, of course, nothing's guaranteed. That is a good level of experience. Yeah. And um, I know you've been doing some work on some building some different models, and, and experience seems to be a quality that translates from college to the pros, which is like, well, yeah, duh. But also, when we're looking at the vast array of, of, of things that do matter, um, experience, it seems like, really sh- kind of pushes up to the top of that list. Yeah, that's that's something that's kind of popped out to me. I don't have like a like a solid, um, you know, finished touch like finished analysis on it, but um, it it definitely popped out as one of the more 
important things, especially for linebackers, um, being experienced at the position, seeing everything. And, and I think that it can very much translate to safeties as well. Because, Can't hurt. Yeah, playing in different coverages and, and obviously being able to understand when to, to pass off and pick up uh, different players and things like that in coverage is all important. So, um, yeah. Let's keep it rolling, boys, and talk about our second landing spot that was less than ideal. It was Keon White, the edge rusher, landing in New England. Addy, I think this was just one of a handful of cases that we've seen in recent years of a t- of an IDP that we like landing in New England and us going, oh, crap, Bill Belichick is about to torture us with this player for the entirety of his career, potentially. Yeah, he didn't seem too happy about it either. They were showing the close-ups of him. That, was the that him that looked very, very yes. upset? He looks mean anyway, but uh, yeah, he didn't seem to smile at all after they you know, showed that he was drafted. So Maybe he had the Hello Darkness, My Old Friend song playing in his head. I just don't think anyone wants to go play there, you know? It's just a, it's a, it's a tense atmosphere, it seems. I think you knew that, right? <laughs> it's like, you, it was very odd, because you see most yeah. of these guys, like... You know, jumping up and down, slapping their teammates, hugging their mamas, their girlfriends. Uh, we won't talk about what happened in Lucas Van Ness's draft room, That's but right, yeah. usually these are very festive atmospheres, and I think his reaction is one shared by IDP managers based on this landing spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he is a beast. 6'4", 285, 34-inch arms, 992 RAS score. Was, you know, decently productive in college. Uh, played at Georgia Tech. Um, and, yeah, he gets to, you know, be alongside Christian Barmore, who I know our boy Macri's a big fan of. Um, got Josh Uche there. Yeah. Got uh, Matthew Judon there. Keon White was a little older. He was tw- He's 24.3. So, I mean, he should be, a, you know, he should be ready, hopefully. But uh, Patriots seem to be a little... He- little hesitant to, you know, put those young guys in right away. So, I mean, I would expect, you know, another two, three years. Same with, like, Barmore. Like, I, f- I figured we'd see more from Barmore at this point, but they're just they're just hoes there. It's just in New England, England, man. It's just New England. <laughs> Evan, and that is what uh, I think is just like, you know, I've had, a, I've had a rule throughout my years playing fantasy. I don't roster New England Patriots because I'm a Colts fan. I'd rather lose – not having Pats than win with them. But for IDP, it's actually worked out pretty well so far not to draft New England Patriots. Yeah, dude, the guy looked like he got drafted to go to war. <laughs> it really did. The man was very upset. I mean, I don't blame him. Bill Belichick is a great defensive coach, but, I mean, he's not exactly known for fostering a wholesome player-loved environment. Um, Yeah, man, it's tough. And like you talked about, not really liking Patriots players. Same kind of goes for Patriots analysis on my end. Usually when it comes to looking through all the games. Yeah, you always skip it, right? You're just like, whatever. uh, I'd rather just just not. I mean, that's probably a good call. It's a team you don't want to try and guess. Yeah. You're going to be let down. If you're optimistic, you're going to be made, yeah, to look dumb. Now, I will say, maybe maybe after this season, we see that there is some best ball value in some of these highly volatile New England assets because their value is absolutely being depressed by the fact that they're in New England. But... If you only get them on their good weeks, then, you know, perhaps maybe there's some value there. But for Keon White, rookies, he's not going to be a guy I'm drafting. He was also a tight end initially. Says he was a tight end as a freshman. That's interesting. Yeah. 62 tackles, 19 tackles for loss, three and a half sacks as a sophomore. So, like, right after he converted. So, I mean, 
we'll see. I mean, he's he's got some nice upside. That that is um, amazing athleticism he has as well, like I mentioned earlier. So I'm glad you all got to witness an Addy pivot in real time. Yeah, he landed in New England. He seemed very upset, but well, you know, at a production. And what was the draft capital? Guy. It was a second. second I mean, round. that's yeah. that's solid Race capital. But I agree. It's New England. It's New yeah. England. We don't well, like it. D- d- is, are we taking this guy in our rookie draft? No, absolutely not. You don't think so? I don't think so. I mean, I think you. I think he's someone that you can kind of expect to probably uh, be there undrafted for you. You can pick up on waivers. I mean, not. I don't feel like a lot of people are going to be in on Keon White. I didn't see a lot of buzz about it before the draft. And still, there were still plenty enough edge guys to get drafted ahead of him. I don't know. Yeah. Just stinks. Yeah. Just stinky situation. I'm trying to think, like, Bill. last year, like, some of the second-round guys, like, boy, Amafe, like, he was definitely, like, a fifth-round pick in rookie drafts. Like, That's true. He'll be in the same range. Yeah. New England Josh might school, same, suppress you know. him out of the rookie drafts. I think so. So, let's switch over to linebacker now and talk about an ideal landing spot, and let's talk about one of the players I was excited about. Just seemed like this dude checked a lot of boxes. It was Dorian Williams, linebacker, landing with the Buffalo Bills. Evan, cover your ears because does this spell the end of Terrell Bernard, John? That's what we want to get into. This guy got pretty decent draft capital. We like the mega producer out of Tulane. He lands in a spot where, yes, Bernard is there. Matt Milano's back on a reworked deal, but it seems like he will be in the mix and have a chance to contribute. Yeah, I think he'll definitely have a shot. Um, I mean, Terrell Bernard was a third-round pick last year as well, right? So I think these guys are both going to get a chance to to compete, obviously. but You give the edge probably to Bernard because yep. he's been there. He knows the system. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's you know, again, it, it's you never want to guarantee anything. You never want to, you know, put a stamp on on a player and tell them, you know, say that they're done for um, because Terrell Bernard still should have a shot. Um, they both bring different qualities. Terrell Bernard is kind of very speedy linebacker. Dorian Williams, a little bit more methodical, not very aggressive uh, as a linebacker. So it, de- it depends on what the coaching staff is looking for, what they like about a player, right? Who pairs well with Matt Milano yeah, is a good exactly. question as well. So of these two guys, which one do you think maybe works best alongside the handsome one in Buffalo? Man. Good question. Um I don't think we saw Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano work together last year because Terrell Bernard was the Matt Milano replacement mm-hmm. when he was injured, but Tremaine Edmonds had Tyrell Dotson. I think so. Um, that replaced him. So, yeah, it, it could go either way. I mean... So you're saying maybe they saw Bernard as a bit duplicative with what Milano was giving them, and so they wanted a little something, a little different flavor. Could be. With Dorian Williams. Yeah. yeah. Evan, this is not something trending well for about. you, my friend. <laughs> uh, look, we've got, we've got uh, Terrell Bernard and the draft kit, so we're going to have to figure out, Jake. Yeah. Are we going to sub out Terrell Bernard, as I think he was in there as a, a sleeper candidate? Um, but Dorian Williams landing there, very good spot for the Tulane product. Yeah, I think this goes back to a lot of the the theme that we're we're picking up. You know, past round one is there's value here for these guys, but is it year one value? And I don't know that we'll realize it right away. Um, the big thing that I think would stand out for me is I love what I saw from Dorian Williams in coverage. That's the one thing where I think he can really outshine uh, Terrell Bernard and. 
obviously, I know we've all, we all hear the the narrative in, in media that you know it's a pass happy league, and that's that's the way teams are going to you know trend towards. And if that's what you know Buffalo wants, and and that's what they're valuing alongside Milano, presumably. I mean, I, I can't imagine it's someone else. I then I Williams might have the edge, but you, you got to give Bernard the edge going in year one here. I think so. Yeah, I would still give the edge to Bernard, but I am nervous, Addy. Yeah, I, I think you should be. I'm I'm Doran Williams, baby. All aboard. 15.6% tackle rate in college. That was career. That was uh, second behind Bumper Pool on this linebacker list. Of, Wait, you know, did Bumper Pool get drafted? UDFA. 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 Oh, no. Sir. Has he landed anywhere yet? Yes. Do we know? Yeah, yeah. He did go somewhere. Where did yeah. he go? Carolina or something? But, yeah, Dorian Williams, man, the way he produces last year, 132 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks. As a sophomore, he had 97 tackles, 15 and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. So, if he gets a chance, hop on the train. Like baby. the way he produces, that tackle rate is very nice. Like the, he's got a chance to to be absurd. Like, I mean, it reminds me a lot of like Nick Bolton. Truly, I think he's going to be someone you can get in like the fourth or fifth round, and uh, I could see him being potentially like the most productive linebacker of the group. Okay, Evan, I've watched you die inside ever since we started this discussion. Are you coming around on D Will? Are you holding out hope for Bernard? Are you just wanting to lick your wounds right now? What's going through your mind, young king? Man, I think y'all need to take a chill pill. I think y'all need to relax a little bit. I, uh, okay, so I will say, I will say. Um, I think if we relax, we might fall asleep. So we're going to try yeah. to stay on that. you need to take a chill pill. You know what, Addy? Um, yeah, obviously. Okay, so got my exposure pulled up. So this is coming from somebody who has a 64% exposure to Terrell Bernard. Isn't that like 14? your second highest? Yeah, guess who my fourth highest is? Reed Blake. <laughs> oh no, this is a bad weekend for Evan, y'all. Yeah, I set myself up for disappointment. So we stuffed him with fried food and took him out to the golf course today. Yeah, and then I uh, hit a lot of balls. In, yeah, I hit a lot of balls right. into the woods. Yeah, we spent about what seven and a half hours playing golf. Yeah, something like that. Could have probably been four if I didn't try and find all of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I just hope you're not allergic to poison ivy. So we will we'll find, find out. out. Yeah, That's right. To so. So I got to pull up this tweet from uh, Joe Buscagli over here uh, from The Athletic, who basically says, Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, says, quote, Terrell Bernard will definitely get a chance to compete for that Mike spot, end quote. Also mentioned that A.J. Klein, Tyrell Dodson, and Braylon Spector. Uh, they haven't ruled out Dorian Williams yet, but added that it's a big transition from Collins, uh, from college, and then says, quote, we're not going to predetermine who's going to win or anything like that. Uh, but he called Dodson, quote, the leader of the clubhouse, only because Dodson has the most experience at middle linebacker in their system. So take it with a grain of salt because it's draft season and it's narrative season. So they're going to say what they're going to say. But that is a lot of interesting information. And maybe the ultimate conclusion of this entire conversation is, are we underrating Tyrell Dodson? Could be. I think this is a good time to Addy, point out something Sig said on our show last week or this past week, which was when it comes time for rookie mini camps and training camps, throw out your priors and listen to the drumbeat. This is one of those situations where I think the drumbeat will be very important to pay attention to because there's some real opportunity here alongside Milano. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think if you're, you know, expecting uh, your rookies to come in and produce and, uh, you know, be some type of league winning uh, asset. You're you're probably gonna be let down. 
That's just not the way it usually goes. And, you know, even if uh, they do end up getting opportunity, normally it's like the second half of the season, right? It's not going to be immediately. So uh, they usually don't pay off taking, you know, rookies like that high in redraft. Yeah. Just be patient. and um, But, yeah, it's, it's Dorian Williams uh, season, folks. All right, there you go. Sorry, Evan. Dorian <laughs> Williams season there. has begun. Terrell Bernard season is over before it began. Rest in peace to your best ball shares. Let's move to the next guy here, another linebacker that we are very excited for around this table. It is Dayon Henley, the linebacker, landing with the Los Angeles Chargers alongside Eric Kendricks. John, Bobo not here tonight, but we know he is possibly the world's biggest Dayon Henley stand. And I felt like uh, with this landing spot alongside Kendricks, couldn't have done much better for Mr. Henley. It's a really nice one. Uh, I mean, especially when you consider that, like, how poor Kenneth Murray has been as and how much of a letdown he's been as a first-round pick. Like, they declined his, fi- his fifth-year option. That you mentioned it earlier. It's true, yep. Yeah, so... There's absolutely an opportunity there for Diane Henley to come in and steal that number two linebacker spot away from Kenneth Murray. Um, he just hasn't been able to do it. Um, I would expect him been, to do that. Yeah. I think this is one of those situations. Like if if I'm making a call on who can get supplanted by the rookie, mm-hmm. give me the guy whose option they just declined. I think the team is sending a very clear message of like, yeah. dude, you're not part of our future, so we're not going to have any trouble replacing you if this kid can come in and play. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, he, Henley just he just showed a lot. Um, it, you know, he's again another guy that's pretty new to the position, um, former wide receiver, and he can cover like a wide like he is a wide receiver. So um, that that's a big positive for him. Hopefully, that translates to the NFL. But Kenneth Murray just too many red flags as far as being a consistent NFL starter. I I, I am concerned that uh, he's he's on his way out, and that means the rise of Diane Henley that. That we love that obviously because yeah we're all big Diane Henley fans Bobo especially so we love to see it get on board the Dayon Henley train Jake and let's ride it it to a third round rookie pick fourth round rookie pick what are you doing here with Mister Henley and rookie drafts he's not the speedy undersized linebacker that I was hoping to be talking about at this point but yes uh, Henley I, I could get, I could get behind a mid to probably late third round on them. Okay. I, I think the really big thing that he brings to the Chargers defense is uh, he's for, for his size, he is such a sure tackler, um, had one of the lowest missed tackling rates, one of the best tackling grades. And this defense for the Chargers at times has really just tried to be more be a run funnel defense, right? You know, we know we got the, the coverage skills on the outside. We're going to keep everything kind of controlled and in front of us. So we just need someone who can step up and be a sure tackler and make, you know, the offense make the mistakes and then we can make plays maybe around that. And Kenneth Murray didn't allow him to do that. Kenneth Murray made too many mistakes out on the field too many times. Um, and so, yeah, Henley is someone I think that John's spot on. He could very quickly challenge um, for that LB2 role. And I mean, maybe he's one that's challenging for that, that spot week one already. Eddie, I'm very excited to say adios. Kenneth Murray, you betrayed me with my flag plant two years ago. You're the Nick Cross of the linebacker position to me. And welcome in, Mr. Dayon Henley. Yeah, I mean, this is a great spot. I mean, it's just Eric Kendricks there. You know, and Eric Kendricks is, I think, 31 at this point. And, and you've said before you think you maybe see some signs of slippage oh, from this guy. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've seen the best of Eric Kendricks. I mean, the PFF grades have been dipping, I think, the last probably two or three years. Um, so, yeah, I mean – 
And what if Kendricks get gets hurt? You know, he was hobbled last year. I mean, that that could easily happen. So I mean, yeah, he's early mid thirties. What's uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's getting up there. Thirty one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is he that? Okay, he's not as old as I thought. I thought maybe he was thirty two, thirty three. Still, that's 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 old. He's feeling it. Yeah, as we know, none of us are getting any younger. Yeah. So I the like young king, that. maybe I like that. I think that's a that's a that's a good spot for him. You know, uh, defensive minded head coach, one of the brighter defensive minds in the league so i mean you kind of like that uh, this was a guy that he wanted so um and they don't do that much you know i mean uh has has he drafted someone since he's been there i don't know that it was murray part that's of what the, i was trying to remember was john was kenneth murray a brandon staley selection i don't think he was no, I, I think, think he, he inherited in after, yes yeah. so, he inherited this, this yeah. is the first yeah. linebacker yeah. they've drafted Yep. He's drafted. Because Tranquil was already there. Murray was already there. Yep. Didn't so, they let Tranquil go to, yep. for peanuts? I mean, you know. Could have brought him yeah. back pretty easily. I think so. This so, I mean, feels like a let me go get my guys at linebacker finally. So I like this. I like that a lot. I think you got to feel good about that for Dynasty too. I'll also add for redraft purposes, I mean, behind, uh, behind Jack Campbell, is there another linebacker in this class that you think has as good a chance to produce year one? I mean, I think it's probably not. I think it's Henley. I, I, I have three oh three oh two and three oh three in our main RSO league. I would love for Henley to be there for me to select him. I don't know if he's getting past Bobby at the end of the second round, man. Uh, and, and obviously, Bobby's a unique case. But yeah. if I'm sitting there, I'm pretty well set at linebacker. But man, I think this could be a guy that we're saying, you know, rookie kind of IDP MVP for us if uh, the season goes the way we think. Uh, the stars have just aligned for Dayon Henley. We love the fit. We love the coaching staff putting their stamp of approval on this guy. And I agree with you, Evan. I think year one contributors, I would put Henley alongside maybe one notch down from Jack Campbell at the top of that list. So I'm excited to see what this guy can do. This is this is one where I feel a little more juice than maybe I did with uh, some of the other guys we've talked about so far. But uh, not as much juice around this next guy here. Another not-so-ideal landing spot. It is Brian Branch, the safety, landing with the Detroit Lions. And, John, I think this one comes down to a couple different things. We didn't get the draft capital we were hoping for. No safeties went in the first round. Mm -hmm. And Branch lands in a revamped Detroit secondary where we have some real questions about what position this guy is going to be playing. Yeah, I played a ton of slot uh, at Alabama, and I it feels like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson might go back to that slot role in Detroit, um, reuniting with his old defensive coordinator with the Saints, which is what he played a lot there. Um but there could still be a role for Brian Branch, but it's again, it's that kind of ambiguity around it, yeah. you know, and and being, you know, the, I, I guess technically, he, if we're gonna call him a safety, he was the first safety taken. Yes. If we were, if we're not, then you know he he's a corner. But um, we don't know what's happening with Tracy Walker's Achilles. Uh, we don't know if he'll be back to start the season. Kirby Joseph, we don't really know how they feel about him. You know, he was fine uh, as a rookie, but there's. It, Brian Branch, very much like uh, Jordan Battle, very experienced and and performed really well at Alabama. So it's not like he's some schlub off the streets. Like he he'll still be a very good player. Again, it just might be it just might not be year one um, because they have so many bodies in that defensive back 
the field. Jake, I kind of just want to see what they're going to do with this guy. I think right now what we're that we're a little bit dampened because of just those question marks around what to expect with his role. I kind of just want to see it on the field before I invest a whole lot in this guy. Yeah, the ambiguity is is uh, one of those things where, from a, a big game theory standpoint, right? Is it do you do you buy into this because the value will never be lower for him? So you get into him now and. And you look at someone like a Tracy Walker who is like coming off the Achilles. Is he done? Maybe he's got a little bit more left in him. Kirby Joseph seemed kind of pigeonholed into that deep role, so he doesn't have as much flexibility. Um, and then you have you know Gardner Johnson and uh, Branch, and maybe they can do a bit more rotation, right? So you can still see some of those high-value snaps um, in our sweet spot, you know, where you can be in the slot. Maybe he comes up into the box a little bit. Um, but it, it, it's hard, right, because at Alabama he played nearly 75% of his slot, uh, snaps in the slot role, uh, specifically this last year. So he really does get pegged as that, that slot or nickel corner at times. I I like the talent a bit. I I probably won't buy into the, the low point of it, but if someone wanted to, if you, you see something you like, this is probably the best time for you to do it as well in that regard. So we're not Jake's not necessarily buying the dip, Addy, but I just want to pour one out because this really muddies the water for CD Deuce as well. Yeah, uh, but it was just a one-year deal for him. So I know, but just coming off the beautiful renaissance this man had with Philadelphia, yeah. who you know uh, what kind of player Philadelphia could use right now? Yeah, a CD Deuce, a CJ <laughs> Gardner Johnson. So. We need to send the opposite of a fruit basket to this guy's agent for getting him a one-year prove-it deal coming off that season. Yeah. I still feel like Brian Branch is going to probably get decent draft capital in your rookie drafts. I mean, he was the first safety drafted. I think a lot of people probably think this is a really good landing spot, you know, um, because I don't think a lot of people are probably familiar with Kirby Joseph, and um, I don't know. I'm not interested. It's a weird one, right? Like, it feels very much like Jalen Petre uh, last year where he was very much a nickel yep. corner uh, in college. We didn't know how he was going to be utilized with the Texans. He came in and, you know, they, they kind of moved him around a little bit to try to figure out where he'd fit best and ended up being great for IDP, obviously. But um, so, I mean, it, it, there's there's a range of outcomes for sure uh, with Brian Branch. So it, it's I guess it's just the, the unknown. Um, we, we can't really peg him down just yet until we know a little bit more about what the defense uh, is going to look like. But, um, yeah, there like there's there's value and ambiguity, like you guys said. Um, but at the same time, it's far from a sure thing. Yeah. So y'all heard it here first, folks. Uh, 2023 safety <laughs> one, Brian Branch. Yep. Uh, you there heard is. him. You all heard this, right? Jalen Petrae, com, yeah, 16, whatever yeah. points per game. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Now, we'll say what helped, of course, Petrae was two linebackers that were cheeks in front of him, and we have uh, a whole defense that was cheeks. Yeah, there's just massive cheeks all around. Now we've got uh, Addie's, I'm going to say, Dynasty LB 10, Jack Campbell. Yeah. Pretty close. Eight. I think you're probably right on. Yeah, so. Probably a little higher. Getting into that beautiful brain right now. Uh, but yeah, it um, remains to be seen what's going to happen with Brian Branch. Let's but, let's I mean let's let's talk about that right now real fast while we're thinking about it. Do you want Jack Campbell or do you want Logan Wilson? Jack Campbell. Uh, what about uh, Dre Greenlaw or Jack Campbell? Jack Campbell. 
Fred Warner, Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell. Quay Walker or Jack Campbell? Mm. Jack Campbell. How about you guys? Quay Walker or Jack Campbell? Uh, That's a Cam- tough one. I like Campbell. I, I really like Campbell. So when you I, get to that barely, point. Yeah. yeah. So with how hard I, it is to like, answer these questions. I like Warner and Greenlaw. Yeah. With how hard it is to answer these questions. You would take Warner and Greenlaw? Yeah. Okay. That should tell you. I mean, yes, Jack Campbell has arrived already. I mean, he's I, th- I mean, probably like a top eight option. I think he's probably top one at this point, Evan. <laughs> I got to piggyback <laughs> off what Macri said because there's a reason why he's saying he prefers Warner and Greenlaw, right? They weren't necessarily mentioned back-to-back, but they both play on the same defense, and the defense you play on has a significant impact on how, value, how valuable you are for IDP. I mean, you play the game to win, right? And so if you get a player that's valuable for Dynasty, right, they're talented, but if they're in a defense that's not going to get them producing as an LB1 on a season-by-season basis, maybe we might be overrating the talent there. I personally have been lower on Jack Campbell, I think, than the rest of the table had been on draft night. And there's a reason for that that Macri mentioned, which is the rate at which that defense calls man coverage versus the league average or just versus some other more favorable landing spots. It's, I mean, you know, anybody can produce on a week-by-week basis, but when we're trying to project projection, production, production, right? When we're trying to project production, we want to try and look at some of these metrics that are correlated to tackle efficiency. And so I don't want to step on Macri's feet here. This is this is really all from his brain, but it's it's an important note. I don't want to, you know, like pour water on the fire that is Jack Campbell, because I love him too. He's a great player. But I don't want to, you know, come out come out of the gate swing and saying he is he's beaten everybody out because there's a reason why He's not the absolute tippity top. Making me proud. Just crying. I know. <laughs> hey, you said range of outcomes earlier. You talked about right. opportunity costs and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I'm just trying to return the favor. <laughs> hey, look, we're just happy that Alex Anzalone is soon going to be turned into dust. So let us have this. Ooh, yeah. All right. Let us hey, have this, guys. He was pretty good last year, old Alex Anzalone. Not anymore. Because man gambles in but, the, I mean, in you the gotta, building. I think you got to feel good about that. I mean, we've seen someone be very productive there in Anzalone. And uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, when he got his opportunity for for that first half of the season, he was very productive. Yep. So, I mean, I don't know. I think Campbell could be really nice. Scheme be damned. Yeah. yeah. Let's let the scheme, t- boys. Let the potato chips and the Forget your numbers. I just watched the tape. Yeah. <laughs> he got nothing, that dog in him. He's nothing if not a tape dog. Well, let's talk about another guy here on the list and shift over to a winner, Young King. I think you were the one who brought this player up. It is Byron Young, Edge, Los Angeles Rams. And I think the main selling point here of Young, Young King, is that the Rams is just cheeks. And so this young man's going to have an opportunity. Yeah, I. it's pretty simple. Now, yeah, there's two Byron Youngs in the draft. So this is the one that is from Tennessee. And it's pretty simple. They had not a lot of draft picks in these recent years. And the second pick that they used in this draft, they spent on Byron Young. Now, it was a third-round pick, but they didn't have a first-rounder. And so that has to mean something. Um, they lost Leonard Floyd this year. They really don't have very much talent anywhere on that team. I don't want to hate too much because these guys are obviously infinitely better at football than I am. So that's not where I'm coming from. But it's just the fact that I'm trying to project usage and I'm trying to see is there a chance that this guy can get on the field year one and if so will he be productive it seems like there's a good chance he gets on the field year one and based on what I've seen from people that are much smarter than I am when it comes to 
uh, just kind of looking at prospects, analyzing their abilities, there have been a lot of people that really like him. And so I'm willing to trust those people, and I'm willing to trust the Rams scouting staff for spending a third-round pick on him and see uh, whether or not he can get a chance to get some points. It's incredibly cruel to someone trying to create title graphics that you have. Byron Young of Alabama on the defensive line going 70th overall, and then Byron Young of Tennessee on the defensive line going 77th overall. Um, So, yes, we have the Alabama player in the title card. I apologize. (laughs) But, John, um, this guy is third-round draft pick, so decent draft capital, but landing spot. Anyone with, with the Los Angeles Rams, we just have to draw attention to the fact that this team has so many holes oh my God. that there's going to be a lot of opportunity to be had for young guys. Yeah, if the Rams had more draft capital, I mean, and, and had picks in the first or the second round, they could have got some really good players, maybe even players that were potentially closer to being finished products than Byron Young. Um, and, and Byron Young was solid in college, but again, still very much a project, you know, an explosive kind of player there. He's kind of, he's got the tools, right? But again, it's opportunity. That's, that's the main thing. And you look at the edge rushers for the Rams and it is shocking. How you could, depleted. you could make up like yeah. five names right now. And I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like the Rams edge rushing group. Ochon Mathis. Yep. Yep. I had him at some point <laughs> last year. He's he's a rookie. He he's actually one they brought in. But like Keir oh, Thomas. Oh, you weren't kidding. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh Keir Thomas, Daniel Hardy. I mean, Michael Hecht is definitely gonna start because he's somehow the most experienced player on the on the edge. But he's looking around like, damn guys, why y'all putting me in oh, this man. spot? I'm not ready for this. Wait, that's how it's pronounced Hecht? I thought I thought it was Hoyt. Is it Hoyt? I thought so. We're going with Oh, heck. yeah. What the heck? Oh, what like the, the heck? heck? Michael Heck. <laughs> can we take I a sec? No I'm sorry. Can we take a sec to also talk about, I don't want to cut you off, Christian Roseboom. Right. We were just talking about this on the car ride back from going golfing, but yeah. the, the Rams did not really add at the linebacker position in this draft, so it is Ernest Jones, and he's looking around like Will Smith in that you know living room. There's nobody else there. Yeah. Christian Roseboom, is he the guy? Is he going to be a relevant IDP player this season? There are some linebackers still out there, right? Yeah, the free agent. I, I, I'm not buying it. I mean, if you're going to get him, you get him for free. Literally nothing. Don't try to trade for him if somebody already has him. Just literally just get him for free. Um, Jake Gervais is another one. It could be that guy. Is that Ricky's brother? Ricky Gervais? Jake Gervais? <laughs> yeah. What a talented family these Trevases are. (laughs) Oh, but Addy, I think the point we're trying to make here is that whether he's from Tennessee or Alabama with 70th or 77th, when you land with the Rams, you're landing in a primo spot. Yep. He gets, uh, you know, one of the best players in football to learn from. Uh, I I feel the same about Ernest Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of the older prospects, he's 25 years old, but he had one hell of a combine. He is 6'2", 250. He ran a 4'4", 40. Broad jump of 1,100. That was one of the best. So, yeah, that speaks to his explosion, like Macri was talking about, 9.22 RAS score. Yeah, who knows? I mean, but that's that's good capital, and – yeah, I think you someone that would probably, you know, be there available for you after your drafts. Yeah. So All right. A free little dart throw. Nice dart throw. Probably going to be a UDFA for post-rookie drafts. I like it, Addy. I'm just going to keep the solo camera on you because we are moving to the next player on our list, and it is Derek Hall 
Seahawks edge rusher, one of your favorite guys in this draft, and lands in a pretty good spot opposite Eugene Nuosu. Yeah, I really like Derek Hall out of Auburn. Um, 6'3", 254, 34 and a half inch arms. He ran a 4'5", 7'40". Uh, he had a 9'4", 0 RAS score. Pretty productive, too, in college. Last year, he had uh, in 12 games, he had 60 tackles, 11 TFL, 6.5 sacks. The year before that, he had 52 tackles, 12.5 tackles for loss, and 9 sacks. So, yeah, the draft capital was pretty surprising. I mean, you know, going 37th overall, I mean, that makes him, like, what, like the 6th or 7th edge rusher off the board. So, I love that. I mean, the obvious comparison, you know, with him being from Auburn, Kind of like uh, reminds me a little bit of Carl Lawson. High motor, really good at getting to the quarterback. Um, decent tackler, which is kind of unlike Lawson. Um, so, yeah, I'm optimistic, and I love the landing spot. I mean, Seattle, you know, that was a team that I think everyone thought was going to get maybe Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson. Didn't happen. Um, and really all that's there is, you know, obviously Uchin is going to be safe, but Boye Mafe, who knows what he's going to be. Um, Derek Hall is going to give him some real competition and, you know, I could easily see him being the guy. I think Kim Boye was drafted a little bit later in the second round last year, so Hall's got him in the capital department. Outside of drafting a million running backs, Jake, the Seahawks did settle for Derek Hall as their edge-rushing consolation prize. You've been working on the rookie rankings for the IDP show draft kit. Free plug dropping Monday, May 1st, y'all, so look forward to that. What are you thinking now? It feels like Derek Hall might be a riser in the rankings with this landing spot. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, and there's some other guys that came in later in there. I mean, the the Seahawks clearly wanted to address defensive line. They brought in uh, Mike Morris and uh, someone else from the interior in the fifth round. This is this is what they want to do. They want to get better there. Um, you know, but they felt like they had too much value on the offensive side to pass on that. Um, except for Zach Charbonnet, but I won't try to figure that out at this point or ever. Uh, but yes, Hall is going to probably rise up pretty significantly. I did not have the Addy love for him coming into this one, but I can definitely see um, how he can deliver for us. You know, in terms of his rookie years, uh, rookie year, excuse me, in the in the following years coming forward with the Seattle Seahawks, it's it's a clear path to um, starting by year two and possibly heavy rotational use uh, already here in year one. John, we talked about B.J. Ojolari a little earlier, a player you weren't as high on, but landing in a nice spot. Do we see maybe here a player that you do like landing in a good spot, or what's your temperature right now on Derek Hall? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I was literally just thinking the same thing with BJ Ojolari, and um, yeah, I I prefer Derek Hall, the player, um, even though the landing spot might not be as ideal, like as opportunistic um, as it would be with Arizona. There's just a lot more to like about the player, um, and I, I yeah, Addy nailed it all. I don't need to go over it again, but. Um, yeah, for Dynasty, a lot of the times we want to bet on the talent more so than than the opportunity. That's, you know, opportunity can be a nice tiebreaker if the talent is close, but um, when I'm doing Dynasty rankings and things like that, I often look at um, the talent levels, and, um, and that's more of a tiebreaker for me than, like, year one opportunity, for example. You said Addy nailed it. It sounds like a round of golf. Oh, yeah. And an IDP <laughs> podcast discussion. <laughs> yeah. That tip, thank you very much. And uh, let's keep it rolling, though, fellas, and talk about our final guy 
on the list. It is the last, less than ideal landing spot, and we're taking it all the way back to round one. It was a guy we talked about a little bit in the moment, but now that we've had more time to stew on it, Will McDonald, the fourth edge landing with the New York Jets, is not ideal for me, at least, Young King, because this guy lands in a very crowded edge rushing rotation, and uh, it felt like he could have gone somewhere else where maybe there weren't as many people competing for snaps alongside him. Yeah, this is a prime example of something we would call a great for real football, not so great for fantasy move. I think adding an edge here, maybe, or maybe you know, you can debate whether or not they should have drafted this specific one, but adding an edge here makes a great sense for the Jets. But for IDP, for fantasy, we are looking at projectable, consistent outcome, upside. And while the Jets did have a very successful pass-rushing defensive line last season, they were, I believe, number three in the league according to PFF metrics, they don't really give a whole lot of volume to a specific player. And so as a fantasy manager, what we're looking for is somebody that we can throw in our starting lineup and trust that they are going to score points for us. And it's really hard to imagine that for Will McDonald on a defense that is full of so many guys, right? We've kind of talked about it before. They spent a first-round pick on Jermaine Johnson last year. Carl Lawson may or may not be there. They've got John Franklin Myers. They've got Bryce Huff, who they just gave a tender to. And all of these guys are going to garner a very serious and very respectable amount of snaps. And Will McDonald is going to have to earn his work there if he wants to be a viable and consistent fantasy producer. Jermaine Johnson, Carl Lawson, Michael Clemens, Will McDonald, Bryce Huff, not to mention John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams. It's a very crowded room in New York right now. We know Robert Sala coming from San Francisco loves to have these defensive line guys that he can rotate. So like Evan said, while it may be a great move for the Jets in real football terms, IDP-wise, this one left me cold. Yeah, I'm not really interested in in Will McDonald, at least not early on. Now, I mean, none of those guys are, I don't think, anything to scare you long-term. And upside-wise, I mean, Will McDonald does have a ton of upside. I mean, he was, athletically, he was was great. 9.66 RAS score, uh, 1,100 broad in the 36-inch vertical. So, I mean, he's got the tools. He's got the capital. He was productive in college. He was productive uh, early on, too. As a sophomore, he was um, he had 35 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, and 10 and a half sacks. So that was as a, a redshirt sophomore. Um, so, yeah, I, not interested early on, but I, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, he's one of those guys that he scares me, right, because I do see his upside, and I – uh, he could be someone that we look at in, in a few years, and he's he's the second best, you know, second or third best edge prospect uh, or, or edge rusher in the class. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm cautious with him. Yeah, John, we were trying to figure out who this last kind of worst landing spot guy was going to be, and you said, "Can we go back to Will McDonald? Should we go back, dip back into the first round?" You were not hot in the pants for this landing spot when we first learned about it on Thursday. So uh, now that you've had some time to reflect on it, uh, a lot of the same stuff I'm sure that Adam and Evan have mentioned are giving you pause with Old McDonald. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the, the crowded room is, is one thing. And, and when I put the edge model together, really liked Will McDonald. Um, he had, he has really good pass rush metrics, great production in college and, and the RAS score and all that stuff. Um, the only, the, the, you know, the concerns I have with him is that he is a smaller edge rusher and he kind of got, he got washed out a lot in college, especially trying to defend the run. Um, so playing him on early downs, there wasn't, you know, a clear kind of path to snaps for me to see him in the NFL playing on rundown. So that really killed his floor for me. And as much as he is like a good, you know, kind of finesse pass rusher and he could put production up in sacks, that's, that's very boom bust for, for IDP purposes. Right. And when you factor in the competition that he has for snaps already, especially like a John Franklin Myers or Carl Lawson, who are much better, bigger, stronger, maybe not so much Carl Lawson, but Jermaine Johnson is who I was thinking of, um, who, who was solid and run defense and, and John Franklin Myers, especially, those I don't know that those early down snaps are going to be there for Will McDonald. You might see more of those kind of NASCAR packages with him um, getting after the pass, getting after the quarterback on on passing downs. Um, but again, it's it's not consistent production to rely on at least for the first maybe couple of years that he's he's in the NFL. Yeah, we could think we're talking about Norm McDonald here, Jake, because this landing <laughs> spot feels like a joke. I can keep going all night, folks. Uh, <laughs> it's McDonald's. I'm not yeah, loving it. We haven't there. It is. Um, so who's coming off six and a half hours of golf? Not this guy. Yeah. This guy's fired up and ready to go. Jake, uh, not as fired up about this landing spot. I, I'm not in, in some ways. The one thing I do love is that. It'd be I think, great if Jake was like, this is actually my favorite of the whole class. <laughs> all right, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Let me launch into my diatribe. So the. The landing spot that he needed is somewhere where he can really stand up outside and really just rush off the edge outside the tackle. And he's going to be able to do that here, I think, with the New York Jets, mm-hmm. which is great, and that's an awesome landing spot. Um, it, it really comes down to it's such a crowded room. Um, I, I totally I love what you said, John, about his lack of the winning in the run game. The, the times I did see him win, it was almost exclusively with speed. And I, that's just not a consistent way, especially for IDP purposes, um, to find value. The, the one thing I want to ask to this table, and it's it's a it's a reach, right? But are we seeing the Jets try to move into that Philadelphia Eagles model where they're going to have just this talent that they can just keep throwing out there and they're going to find ways to be efficient? And as, as the Eagles were last year, hyper-efficient with this, um, and you can actually have some real IDP value. Not saying that's this year, but is that kind of the model or space we see them moving into at some point? Could be. Or yeah. is that just we're shooting for the stars and that's the outlier and we really never even want to look at that as something we consider? I think the hole I would poke in that theory is that I don't see the talent right now on this Jets line that Philadelphia had last year. So could they get there? Absolutely. They've invested, invested a lot here. I mean, they traded up for Jermaine Johnson last year. They go get Will McDonald early in the first round. So, yes, I think they can get there. And there's still some moves they can make. They bring in Aaron Rodgers, you know, pay him a lot of money, convert his, I think, uh, salary into a signing bonus. So they've got a lot of money invested in Rodgers. Carl Lawson's been floated as a possible cut candidate connected to the Aaron Rodgers deal. So maybe there's a pathway to snaps that opens up for this guy, Addy, but I'm with you. I'm cautiously optimistic about McDonald. Yeah, and one last thing, 48 
career college games, just 125 tackles, 2.6 tackles per game for Will McDonald. That's one of the, that might be the lowest among all these edge guys. So, I mean, yeah, that's going to be the floor is going to be uh, not great for Will McDonald, I'm afraid. I think, like you guys mentioned, I think he's, he could just be a pass rush specialist, like a Yannick type. Maybe he can have one of those seasons where he, you know, pops off for 12 to 14 tackles or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think you're probably going to see him be like a less than 50 tackle type guy. Yeah, better for real life NFL, maybe better for best ball, at least until we can see a role established for him uh, alongside all of these guys with the New York Jets. So just a weird group there. I mean, we like yeah. a lot of those guys, but none of those guys have really high draft capital. Like if we, none of them it, have been really that productive. It's yet. the Jermaine Pratt corollary where it's like, if we could just see these guys go yeah. somewhere else, maybe, maybe they could realize their potential, at least for IDP. But right now it's just like, it's a crowded room, Eddie. Yep. Needed doing a few fewer cooks in the kitchen. Gentlemen, around this table, that's the end of our list. But is there anyone else that we wanted to bring up as a favorite landing spot, as a guy who maybe didn't land in an ideal situation? John, I feel like this is the time right here now to talk about Ivan Pace Jr., your number four linebacker pre-draft, undrafted free agent, lands with Minnesota. So we like the team but God, homie is facing the ghost is facing an uphill battle being a UFDA. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, it would have been much better if it was like late day two capital, even early day three capital. But going to the Vikings was always the place that I, I liked him best, just because I think he fits that Brian Flores um, scheme really well in, in in how he utilizes his linebackers. Ivan Pace was one of the best uh, in college last year at blitzing and as even as a smaller linebacker you just see the, the his ability to do it on a consistent uh basis and and to do it at a high rate so um i like that a lot i mean he you know he plays close to the line of scrimmage as well can play spy he's got speed um he can cover but yeah it, it's just the landing spot that or the the draft capital sorry not the landing spot the landing spot's great but um not great uh, draft capital, which is going to make it harder for him to maybe even make the team um, or the very, at the very least beat out um, Brian Asamoa but, uh, or, or Jordan Hicks, whoever it happens to be. It's, it's, just, it's tough to do for these guys that go undrafted. Not that it can't happen. There's a lot of good undrafted free agent linebackers in the league. TJ Edwards, Aziz Al-Shir. Alex Singleton. Yep. Um, so it can happen. Yeah. It, it, it can, but I think we actually have audio of John finding out about this pick on the way back from the golf course. Uh, hey guys, <laughs> somebody call nine one one. I don't feel so good. We're going to get so much mileage out of that drop and yes, I absolutely you, love it. Thank you, Eric. Again, uh, Addy, one I wanted to tee you up on was Demarion Overshone. Got a pretty nice little landing spot as well. Yeah. Very nice. I mean, it's just Damone Clark and LVE. We should mention Dallas Cowboys landing spot. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. So I mean, that's a, that's a great spot. I mean, what he was drafted 90th overall, so you know it's a third round pick. I mean, yeah, he was extremely productive last year in college. 12 games, 96 tackles, 10 TFLs, four sacks. Um, yeah, I, I, I like him. I'm also uh, I like what Tampa Bay did late. They got uh, my boy Servassier Dennis, and that's a that's a pretty bare linebacker room i mean especially likely next year i mean devin white he's been floated in all these trade talks and 
Either way, he's probably going to be gone. And then Levante David was just a one-year deal. I think he's like 33 at this point. So, I mean, there's a path there for him. And also they, they brought in uh, Yaya Diaby out of Louisville. So, uh, another high RAS guy, 987 RAS. So, um, I kind of like those late picks that uh, the Tampa Bay made. All right. Young King, any landing spots you liked, didn't like, anyone else you want to throw out before we wrap up? Yeah, so there's been a lot of players that we've discussed, a couple of them that have had some landing spots that have been pretty cheeks. And speaking of cheeks, I think I wanted to circle back. A lot of cheeks mentions tonight. I like it. Yeah, a lot of cheeks. And and speaking of that, I I wanted to circle back to a guy that we talked about a couple days ago in Lucas Van Ness because... I cannot. Evan, that that transition was absolutely top tier. I have to compliment you. Absolute chef's kiss. If you're sitting on that one, my friend, thank you for holstering that until right now. It's been in the holster for about 45 minutes. Um, he, he is. Oh my gosh, he's an absolute. Like it sounds weird to say this, but just like from one man to another man, he is an absolute specimen. Like that guy is. They, they call this dude Hercules for a reason. He is huge. He's jacked. He's so good. I like. I think Evan might be in love, y'all. <laughs> I might. Need, be. We might need to give him the room. I might be. I, I don't like. I can't express this eloquently, but seeing him on the Packers, I I'm imagining he's going to be an edge rusher. I don't really see him being on the interior. We've kind of discussed this a little bit. If he gets a full time workload there, like. I don't know what Rashawn Gary's recovery looks like. Who knows how long Preston Smith is going to be there. Kings Atlantic bar is just a jag. But if Lucas Van Ness can actually secure a full-time workload there, I have to imagine that he is a dominant, dominant edge rusher for that team. Somebody that's going to be like franchise altering might be a little ex- excessive, but like he's going to be a face of their defense for a long time. And I think he could be a kind of a player that, that just the entire Packers fandom just, you know, circles around kind of like a Clay Matthews type because he is just just a, a, a force on the field. Absolutely smitten. Can't blame him. John, I did see a funny tweet that said recap of the Packers draft, and it was a screenshot of the wine section that said exciting whites. So uh, Lucas <laughs> Van Nets definitely falls into that collection of players that the Packers drafted. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, he's going to be a good one. Um, yeah, I, I'm not as excited about him for for year one because I do have think, you looked at his body. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't got Give as it a peek. close of a look at it as, <laughs> Give as it a peek. might have. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's impressive. That's for sure. So yeah. There, there's room for him to be a good player. And he's like a versatile piece too. I think yeah. he might like kind of like a similar like a Zach Allen type. Like I feel like he can kick inside yeah. a, a decent amount too. So I think he can. I think he's gonna do really well there. Yeah. Any other landing spots around the table, Jake? Any other landing spots that struck your fancy? Yeah, the one that stood out to me that I liked was uh, Jair Brown uh, for the 49ers. Um, I was I was glad to see they took him at 87 and didn't wait till 99. They were able to take a kicker then. Um, which was a really big move. Got to save that 99th pick for a kicker, That's Jake. That's right. You top 100. Priorities, you know? my friend. <laughs> no, but but what I like about Jair Brown is he showed versatility for me um, across the field playing for Penn State. He did struggle a little bit um, tackling, so hopefully that's something he can clean up here at the next level. Um, Tashawn Gibson, 33 years old, um, on the last year of his contract, and 
uh, as much as Hufanga, I think a lot of people think of him as like a more true box safety. Um, definitely a lot of utilization all over the field actually there too. And that means uh, as well as playing deep at times. So having two safeties like that again and that versatility, I think that a lot of defensive coaches look for nowadays um, is something that he helps bring overall. So definitely not a year one barring injury, but someone I just, I like his fit and I like what I think he can do um, with that coaching staff there. I love it. Yes, Evan, one more? Yeah, yeah, one more guy. I got to give some love to these managers that are in some of these cornerback required leagues, assuming he gets the positional eligibility. But the Washington Commanders also drafted uh, Jar Jartavius Martin. I can't remember if it was the second round or the third yeah, round. 47th overall, I think. There we go. That's nice. They lost Bobby McCain to the Giants this offseason and currently have an opening on their roster for a nickel cornerback and Jartavius Martin played nickel cornerback in college. So it seems like a pretty easy just fill right in and go ahead and get his starting role day one. So if you're looking for a kind of a nickel cornerback that can play near 100% of snaps and be pretty productive for your team, that's almost certainly going to go very, very late in drafts. He seems like the kind of guy that can, that can do that for you. All right. Well, there you go. A little cornerback love even sprinkled into the mix there. Thank you, Young King. And thank you, fine gentlemen, seated around this table. These were the best and worst landing spots from the 2023. They couldn't see the hat tip, Patty, but they could <laughs> feel it in their soul. From the 2023 NFL Draft, uh, be sure to stay tuned to the IDP show. We've got the Rookie Mock Draft episode coming up on Monday night. The sleeper is finally adding these IDP rookies. So we will have a chance to dive in and give you all an idea of how your drafts might play out. We're going to have offense. We're going to have IDP. We're going to have fun. It is the rookie mock draft episode. It will be a live draft, Daddy. Me, you, Baba will be reacting to the picks. And I'm excited. This is one of our most downloaded episodes every year, and I'm excited to run it back for 2023. That's right. That's all that matters is the numbies. And uh, that reminds me, I have to set that up. You asked me to set that up, and I have not done that yet. That's so, okay. Uh, I, I apologize. You. You, were, you were getting in the right <laughs> mindset to coach these young aspiring golfers and this try. weekend. I love being a mentor to these young fellas. That you were. I really that you do. Were. So I hope you boys learned a lot this weekend. We did. They uh, they learned maybe they want to come back to Bowling Green, <laughs> Kentucky for the draft next season, and we hope you fellows will do just that. It has been a real joy and a treat having you here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, in the Sochak. John, Jake, Evan, thank you all so much. This was a real treat for us this weekend. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for the Southern mm -hmm. hospitality. That's how we do it, Bo. Great food, great times, great friends. Great laughs, great live, laugh, love. Eddie. That, 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 those are the things. <laughs> That's the motto that we live by That's here what in the we do. Shack. That's what we do: live, laugh, cry, eat, sleep, golf, yeah. pod. Take some dumps. Take some. We're going to need some dumps. <laughs> and uh, I think that Mexican food is sitting a little heavy, folks. So right. we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. Thank you all again for tuning in all weekend and in the run up to the draft. Don't go anywhere. The IDP Show Draft Kit coming up on Monday, May 1st. You're going to have the Draft Kit in your hands on Monday. We're going to push the button and make it go live. And then late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, you're going to have the Rookie Mock Draft episodes. The wheel, it keeps on turning. John, you've got some awesome big nickel episodes coming up here with the Rookie Crew ranking these guys now that the draft is over. So, Look forward to that as well, folks. But until next time, y'all take care, and we'll see you soon.